coming up on The Medicine Podcast. I'm about a 170 to 175 pound man now. I was down to 140 or below. And uh, it, which at first was, oh my God, you're so ripped. And then it was like, dude, you're, you, are you okay? And I, was, I would be shocked when people would ask me that. My skin turned orange. I lost a lot of weight, but it, I, I know that I lost a lot of muscle mass too, which is not good. I saw my body drastically changing and I loved the comments that people were making like, oh my God, girl, you look so good. And that just was fuel to my fire to like keep doing what I was doing. But still on the, on the inside, I was never fully 100% confident with my body. Even though I got to the size that I wanted, it wasn't because of the love that I have for my body that I'm doing these things. It was because I literally didn't like my body. Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I am sitting here with my beautiful blue-eyed partner in life and love and podcasting and business wearing his uh, bejewels I got him. When was that? Like uh, last year for your birthday? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They match your eyes. Thank you. Hey, what's up, everybody? (laughs) This is Chase, and I am barely caffeinated. Like barely. (laughs) We actually had to stop the recording and start again. I had to get a little more coffee. (laughs) I am trying to cut back on coffee. Um, I think it's impacting my sleep negatively. And if you've listened to the medicine at all, you know that I've had a roller coaster ride of a relationship with sleep. And for whatever reason, I'm in one of those cycles where I can't run a few nights in a row of consistent good sleep. Um, And so it might, of course, one of the first things you should always do when you're having sleep issues is identify stress and stressors Mm -hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And we think that stressful things are like, you know, you're going through divorce or big, you're stressful, losing money crazy and, life events. And it's actually a lot of times you're exercising too much. You're having too much coffee. You're taking stimulants. You're not breathing through your belly and inhaling fully yeah. through your lungs. You're or, shallow breathing. Or not having healthy boundaries with social events right. or people that needing things from you. Right. Which is funny because that's what we're going to talk about a lot of those things today in yeah. this conversation. But uh, the first thing I try to do is like taper my caffeine intake if it's if I'm not having good sleep because why not? Mm-hmm. You know, um, all that saying I've been yawning like crazy for like <laughs> two hours. And so I've got to have a little sip of this drug right now. And so I am barely caffeinated, but going to be dialed in and mm-hmm. very present today yeah. for this super important conversation. Yeah, it is a really important conversation. One that we've, you know, we've talked about our experiences in these lanes um, in various episodes, but we've never had a full episode dedicated to our experience moving through and graduating from sort of orthorexic tendencies, these yeah. these um, healthy habits that if taken too far and enmeshed in your identity can actually become very unhealthy, which is what we both experienced. I denied this for a long, <laughs> long, long yeah. time. And I'm sitting here saying in all honesty and humility... I have struggled with disordered eating and a disordered relationship to exercise for most of my adult life. Mm -hmm. And it's taken years to get to the point where I could even admit that. Yeah. But this one is near and dear to my heart because disordered eating, eating disorders, 
is so prevalent in my life, not just because of the disordered eating habits that I've had in my rock bottoms of life, but because it's in my family. Mm -hmm. It's in so many of my friends' lives. It is pervasive in the health and wellness space. And I don't necessarily have the words or the answers or anything, but my intention for this conversation today is to be really, really honest, Mm -hmm. um, is to hopefully be informative and to leave somewhat of a ramp, if you will, for Mm -hmm. more sophisticated conversations that I would like to have and we will be having with experts who work in psychiatric conditions like eating disorders and anorexia and bulimia and orthorexia and these terms that we'll briefly touch on today. But it's to just hold sacred space for honest conversation around these topics, share a little bit of our experiences, and then set up what I hope to be some really, really powerful conversations with people who are putting in work in Mm -hmm. this field. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, kind of a a disclaimer to this whole conversation. Um, You know, we're four years into podcasting and haven't had a full episode on this. Um, One of the reasons being this is this is like a really intimate conversation. This is basically opening up our chest cavities and (laughs) mind cavities, brain cavities, and letting people know like, you know, some of the darkest places that we've been in our health journey and what was going through our mind, what was going through our body at this time. And, um, I know our experience is not, um, it's not uncommon, this experience of orthorexic tendencies and letting a healthy lifestyle basically take over your life and identity. Um, but every person has a unique experience in this um, under this umbrella topic. And um, I just want to, you know, I guess preface with that. This is, it's not an easy place to go back to. Like we were talking yeah. about this, you know, a couple of days ago when we were prepping for this conversation. Like it's not easy to go back into the mindset of when I was at my lowest point health wise. Uh, so just, you know, asking for grace and understanding, um, we are simply here to share our experience and then in hopes that it it might resonate with someone who's literally in it right now, or maybe freshly out of it and like trying to incorporate truly like holistic, holistically healthy practices into their life and hoping that we can just sort of be a friend to say like, dude, I know how you feel or girl, I know how you feel. I've been there and you will get through this and it'll make you stronger and you'll learn a lot about yourself through this process. Totally. If you haven't picked it up, the episode is about eating disorders and disordered eating. Um, And if you have a tendency to want to shut this off right now, because maybe you don't think that's applicable to you. I guarantee you, you are one degree of separation away from somebody who's dealing with this. You'll see when I read the statistics, it's bonkers yeah. how many people are dealing with disordered eating mm-hmm. in some fashion or all the way to, you know, full-blown eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intention of today is to to gently, safely have these conversations. I will be layering in so many disclaimers <laughs> uh, because <laughs> yeah. this is a diagnosed condition when we talk about eating disorders. And then when we talk about disordered eating, it's a little more loosely used and there's probably a a real large array of things that could probably fall into these categories. Mm -hmm. And so disclaimer number one is we are not experts in this space. This is a very nuanced topic that deals with uh, psychiatric conditions 
uh, neither of which you or I have any sort of professional training in dealing Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we will talk about them. And the framework of the episode is to really define some terms, um, set a little bit of a framework for how how eating disorders and disordered eating sort of historically manifested into this really problematic issue that we live with now currently in 2024. Um, some of the staggering statistics as it pertains to uh, the prevalence of eating disorders in the world that we live in. And then you and I are going to share some of our, our experiences mm-hmm. um, throughout our history of dealing with what we've kind of identified not having been diagnosed uh, as orthorexic tendencies. And we'll get into some of those definitions mm-hmm. and then hopefully leave you with a big uh, audio or video hug uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and some things that you can think about or, or do going out into the world, whether you're directly dealing with something like this uh, or you know somebody who has compulsive neurotic tendencies as it pertains to their mm-hmm. food and movement behavior. So yeah. um, that's a little bit of the framework. And uh, I think we can just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. First, I'm going to say um, we would love if this episode resonates with you in any way um, to share it. If, if you would share it on your story or send it to someone you love, we try to make this a really like safe, loving container of education and just sharing our experience and you never know who it could help. Um, so if it resonates with you, we would love for you to share. It would mean a lot to us. And definitely go to uh, YouTube and search the medicine podcast. Even if you don't watch the full video, if you're, if you're somebody who listens to the audio, if you go onto YouTube and mm-hmm. just comment on the video, yeah. that is where we're pointing people to have conversation and dialogue with yeah. us. So yes, please share it on Instagram and, and DM us if you feel compelled, but we are going to be making an effort of checking every YouTube comment that we have, mm-hmm. um, because it's almost like just a, 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 an easier way to communicate with the people who are listening or watching our mm-hmm. podcasts. And so I really want to point people towards that channel. We're going to be engaging more and more with, with comments. And we have on a couple old videos, people have uh, commented and, and said that mm-hmm. they watched or given us feedback and we'll, we'll also use all of that to craft future episodes. Yep, so, yep. uh, check out our YouTube. So let's lay some foundation, uh, to this conversation. And it's just going to be some definition of terms, uh, as well as breaking down the types of mm-hmm. most known eating disorders. These are Google searched definitions, everybody. So (laughs) this is not off the top of my head. I'm going to be reading this because I I want to be delicate um, around these areas. So eating disorder versus disordered eating. An eating disorder is clinically diagnosed mental health condition characterized by abnormal eating habits, distorted body image, and often an intense fear of gaining weight. Examples include anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and many others. We're going to be defining these further. Eating disorders significantly impact a person's physical and mental well-being, often requiring professional intervention for a diagnosis and subsequent treatment. Disordered eating refers to a range of abnormal eating behaviors or attitudes that may not meet the criteria for a diagnosed eating disorder, but are still like really mm-hmm. unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It can include irregular eating patterns, chronic diarrhea, uh, diarrhea, chronic diarrhea. That's where my mouth wanted to go, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to chronic diarrhea. Chronic dieting, preoccupation with food, body dissatisfaction, and an obsession with weight and appearance. Disordered eating may affect an individual's overall health and well-being, but might not reach the severity level required for a specific eating disorder diagnosis. Yeah. So the the main 
The, the main difference is the severity. So a clinically diagnosed eating disorder is, you know, probably someone that's been doing this or uh, been doing it to such a degree that it's like, it could be like life threatening right. if they stay on this path where disordered eating is a little trickier to spot. It's a little, it's a little trickier because someone can look really healthy from the outside. You know, this um, defined fit, sick person, mm-hmm. um, you know, walk into any gym and probably a, a good portion of people that look really good probably have some tendencies towards this, uh, just based on the statistics, right. um, uh, that we're going to, we're going to talk about. So it seems to be like the severity. I think people with sort of like low level chronic disordered eating can go a long time and it, it may or may not, you know, really like threaten their life. But if they stayed on that track, it could get to the point where it was like needed to be diagnosed. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So there are several types of eating disorders, each of which have their own characteristics. And so just to name the most common, I think everybody would be familiar with anorexia nervosa. Nervosa mm-hmm. means of the nerves. So mm-hmm. anorexia which characteristics include intense fear of gaining weight, distorted body image, extreme calorie restriction, which is just not eating, uh, excessive exercise, and a denial of severity of these conditions, including a denial of the low body weight issue, the, the complete distortion of whether they are of low body weight, that the low body weight is bad for them. There's a complete... Uh, denial of those these unfortunately this is really predominant in females Mm -hmm. and it often begins early in adolescence but it can manifest uh later in life as well seemingly out of nowhere but oftentimes it is something Mm -hmm. that there's trace signs of from an early age and then we have uh moving on to bulimia nervosa or you know commonly just called bulimia this is you know recurrent episodes of binge eating which just is like eating a shit ton of food like way more way 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 more than you need to be satiated followed by behaviors like vomiting or a really excess exercise or fasting even. Um, And these individuals might even like look normal from the outside. They may walk by you on the street and you have no idea versus someone who has anorexia. If they have a very low body weight, it's usually really apparent. Now I will say with bulimia, um, as a dental hygienist, I saw this with uh, women when I would be, you know, obviously doing an oral exam or cleaning their teeth they people who are often vomiting like vomiting their food up that stomach acid starts to erode the enamel in certain areas of your teeth so you will see a pattern on people's teeth and i've been in that situation a couple times where i was really like in a hard place because i could tell what was going on just by looking at the person's teeth and looking at the pattern of where this mm-hmm. erosion was was really taking place and yeah, I didn't have a good way to like bring this up. I just had to speak plainly at like, here's what I'm seeing and here's a host of what this could be, you know, and just like let them know like I'm seeing this and this is really bad. But other than that, um, (laughs) people besides your dentist and dental hygienist might not know that there's anything, you know, off there. Totally. Yeah. What was interesting to me about bulimia is that I always associated anorexia is when you don't eat. And you're just starving. 
bulimia is when you make yourself throw up after eating and it's actually just binging and purging of any kind so like excessive exercise Mm -hmm. the amount of times that in my head where i had a, a night out where i drank a lot and i ate bar food and that kind of stuff didn't sleep good and then got up the next morning mm-hmm. and decided to work out for two hours because I was doing the calorie math in yeah. my head. I'm like, oh my God, maybe that was a tendency more closely aligned with bulimia than it would have been, you know, maybe something else. Um, so that was definitely eye opening for me. And, and of course, it makes sense. I've been surprised at times, and I think others can resonate with this when you hear about somebody who has an eating disorder and they don't look frail, they don't yeah. look like bone skinny. Yeah. And it's because the calories in, calories out might actually stay relatively neutral if you are binging and purging but it's going to be these other symptoms like the the deteriorating teeth it's going to be your hormones right it's you lose your period you lose your hair your skin you're inflamed you have inflammation in your gut you've got inflammation in your face and so there are these other problematic side effects of having a an eating disorder even one that sort of like net calories in and calories out is relatively neutral Mm -hmm. um orthorexia we've mentioned this a couple times this is one that i had never heard of until we started self-diagnosing ourselves and our our patterns but the characteristics of orthorexia would be obsessive focus on eating healthy foods or doing healthy things even supplements and, and exercise to the extent that it interferes with daily healthy lifestyle factors mm-hmm. leading to just excessively almost like compounding restrictive patterns in life within mm-hmm. the way that you eat and do pretty much everything. Yeah. And it can be like, what I'm about to say could fit within all of these eating disorders, but the thing that would come up in me, which obviously we're going to talk about our experiences, but we sort of, you know, resonate with this orthorexia nervosa type label for, for what we uh, went through. But <laughs> I would say to myself with certain foods, oh no, I can't have that. I can't have that. I can't have that. As if having it would make me somehow a bad person or a worse person. So it's like these foods are like, or these practices are woven into your identity or like, oh no, I can't skip a workout. Like that's not who I am. And so it's like, it becomes these healthy, healthy habits go to such an extreme that they are just totally intertwined with who you think you are. So if you don't do that thing, just right then what does it mean about you are you even a healthy person so it's oh i i one time in a i was in chicago for a work trip and i forgot my mct oil and i was in this like keto phase and i i got up super early in the morning to go to a natural grocer in downtown chicago to get my mct oil after having traveled all day and i had meetings and everything that i was prepping for (laughs) just to get my freaking mct oil oh my god we could fill an entire podcast with just stories about like oh my god listen to the crazy shit i did (laughs) but orthorexia is oftentimes this obsession with being healthy with being clean with being pure Mm -hmm. and there's there's you know a lot of a lot of clickbait out there around kind of the the health space and the wellness space with this sort of like purity obsession and that there's this deep subconscious almost religious relationship to purity Mm -hmm. um and there's a host of things that lead into that and that's a rabbit trail that we're not going to go into today but know that we're aware of it and and it's something that i'm kind of interested in is the psychology behind Mm -hmm. purity yeah and this obsession with purity yeah and then there's this bucket this there's a host of other eating disorders and and behavioral patterns that kind of fall into these other uh basically like everything else other specified feeding and eating disorders um but the one that is often not talked about 
in the realm of eating disorders because it's usually associated with calorie restriction, some uh, distorted version of health is actually binge eating disorder. And that is recurring episodes of eating large quantities of food in short periods of time. Mm -hmm. This is like the full loss of control during these binge episodes. And instead of instead of purging as a response, you actually sit with the guilt and the shame. And so this eating disorder is oftentimes associated with obesity. Yeah. And so it's in this 2024, there's still a bunch of shame around binge eating and obesity, but there's almost this movement to attempt to validate obesity and, and excess weight. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like binge eating disorder, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd watch a show on like, TLC or something and you'd see like uber fat people and they try to lose weight or even like biggest loser which is a completely distorted version of how you should lose weight but it was so understood that binge eating and excessive eating was a an unhealthy thing Mm -hmm. and the the crazy part now is that there is this movement to validate obesity yeah completely separate from the conversation around health it's just that well the way you look is fine and it's okay yeah it's the swing which is so common for us as humans it's really frustrating but (laughs) we swing from like diet culture and low fat everything be super skinny that's the ideal to swinging this way where now you know there's like fat I think they're just, I think they're called like fat influencers. I I don't want to get that wrong. I'm not trying to degrade at all. I'm just saying, I think that that's what they're called is um, sort of these influencers that, that flaunt the fact that they are obese and that you can be healthy at any size, quote unquote. And um, unfortunately in the past couple of months, I think like four or five of these different types of obese influencers talking about this have actually passed away right and it's not something to be laughed at it's not something to be poked at that's not the point it's it's just like we have to observe what's actually happening in reality and so it's like it's we're never gonna be a balanced harmonious human race if we're swinging from one end of the spectrum to the other like totally mantra that we've said a million times on this podcast and that we use in our own lives is like not too much not too little like where's the balance Mm -hmm. and that's where we need to get to with health and eating and all of these things and we're just we're just not there totally so uh, here's another disclaimer and i'll have a few of these today Mm -hmm. eating disorders impact and affect people from all backgrounds genders and ages you know one of the things that i was looking into was like is there a specific you know demographic that is dealing with this and or a specific age group and the the usual response is it really affects everybody and it can occur occur across diverse populations and diverse groups of people and of course societal impact Mm -hmm. um, can shift those in statistically in one particular direction or the other but it's not just women it's men exactly um but What's crucial for individuals experiencing these symptoms, if these resonate in any way, or are concerned about maybe people in their life who who feature some of these symptoms, is to seek professional help for a diagnosis and a treatment. So that's the first of probably four times I'll be saying that today. <laughs> a couple quotes, you know, I was I was looking into eating disorders often as we were prepping for this episode, and just a couple of quotes that really like were powerful. I wanted to to share before we get into a little bit of the history of eating disorders. Um, because it might resonate for someone as it, as it has for me. And it's just really powerful one. And there's anonymous quotes, so I'm not sure who said them. 
I am forever engaged in a silent battle in my head over whether or not to lift the fork to my mouth. And when I talk myself into doing so, I taste only shame. I have an eating disorder. Mm. Like, wow. Like, like the battle is literally like in the fork. It's so sad because like, it's not like alcohol where you can just give up alcohol and you don't have to drink the rest of your life. Like we all have to eat. Right. And so if you struggle with things like this, if you struggle with disordered eating or a severe eating disorder, it's an everyday thing it's because like, it, we can't not eat. We all have to breathe too. Yeah. Do you have guilt and shame or fear every time you take an inhalation? Yeah. It's, it's you know obviously not that frequent, but it's on the same line. Another quote, having anorexia doesn't mean you don't eat. It means you're consumed by a voice of constantly telling you that you are not good enough. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what we'll be talking about yeah. a lot today. There's a lot of things behind the things. Yeah. It's never just about the superficial details. You right. know, There's always more to the story of why we make the decisions that we do, even if we know intellectually that it's not healthy. Totally. All right, so I'm going to briefly give a little history of eating disorders, and then I'm just going to pass to you to read some of the statistics. Yeah. Uh, but in short, it's nothing like mind blowing. Eating disorders, there's evidence for it, like even in ancient cultures. Like certain eating habits and behaviors would potentially be chalked up to like disordered eating in certain circumstances. And by the 19th century, you know, this is like late 1800s, anorexia becomes a term. And uh, it's beginning to be uh, evaluated by various, you know, psychiatrists and, and, and a host of other like medical spaces. By mid 1900s, you've got a few different names for clinically diagnosed eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, this relationship between binging and purging is something that's being you know, talked about and articulated and questioning why mm-hmm. and where does this come from? And then shit, by the time you're in the late 90s and early 2000s, this is a thing yeah, and it's, yeah. it's prevalent and there's entire sections of psychiatric care that are dedicated to eating disorders mm-hmm. and trauma and this whole host of yeah. issues. And so the, the, as you'll get into with these statistics, the staggering piece of all of this is it's growing and it's more prevalent yeah. and throughout history we can see that. Yeah. It's definitely not shrinking. So yeah, let's run through some of the statistics. And honestly, like these blew my mind. I knew in my head that it was really prevalent, um, that this is a thing that a lot of people deal with just by sheer numbers of my own friends, including me and you, who have struggled with this at some point in their life. I, I can name 10 friends at the drop of a hat who have dealt with this. So just by that, and I know we're in sort of like a niche health and wellness space, so maybe it's more prevalent in these, but I don't know. I think it's it, it can be really anyone. Well, so many people that I know in the wellness space have not undiagnosed disordered yeah. eating or eating disorders. And so I know that they're excluded from these statistics and they're still staggering. Yeah. We are excluded from these statistics and we have yeah. history of disordered eating. Because we've never been diagnosed. This is just our own like experience and reflection. Yeah. So still, even with these numbers, it's mind blowing. All right. So of the US population, 28.8 million Americans will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. That is a lot of bodies. The overall lifetime prevalence of eating disorders is estimated to be 8.6% among females and 4.07% among males, um, which again, these are diagnosed. So 
8% doesn't sound like much of the population, but again, this is just the people who are being diagnosed. In the United States, 69 to 84% of women experience body dissatisfaction and really desiring to be a lower weight than they currently are. That's it's nuts. It's you like get, you get a you get a room of 10 ladies and there are two of them that don't feel dissatisfaction yeah. with their body. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Rates of eating disorders in males are actually increasing at a faster rate than for females. And I totally have some theories on this. This is not statistically validated, but go to a gym, uh, take a minute and go into bodybuilding forums. And these are, these are huge spaces, steroid use, testosterone mm-hmm. use, they're skyrocketing. And the lust for the ultimate masculine physique i've never Mm -hmm. seen more of and obviously prevalent with Mm -hmm. social media you can't help but just see guys who are jacked out of their freaking mind my explore page is all shirtless jacked (laughs) dudes uh which is just so hilarious um but it it's like when i see that i'm like i'm actually not surprised there's also a a strong association with endurance athletes Mm -hmm. and uh high intensity athletes like crossfit folks Mm -hmm. um triathletes iron men they they have they're very compulsive they're very control uh they they get like they get off on the control of Mm -hmm. it and so even if they're not like trying to look super hot like like super jacked like the rock they may have a very compulsive neurotic relationship mm-hmm. to their exercise because they almost have to be to be these high intensity athletes. Yeah. And that quickly trickles into eating disorders or you have to maintain a weight. Yeah. Like for, boxers for, or right. MMA or UFC or whatever. And so you're going to these hacks in order to gain or lose weight to meet the qualifications yeah. of your of your particular sport and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're you're actually in a compulsive eating habit. Mm-hmm. And so I this that number does not surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is so sad. Every 52 minutes, one person dies as a direct consequence of an eating disorder. Global eating disorder prevalence increased from 3.5% to 7.8% between 2000 and 2018. Nuts. I would say probably um, the large, largest contributing factor there is the use of social media and you know, being able to compare yourself to anyone and everyone and then also just circulating bad information about health and wellness. Right. Um, Eating disorders have the second highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness behind opiate addiction. And here's what drives me nuts about the body validation movement that we're in. It's still about the body. We're still putting our focus on the body. So whether we're trying to validate someone's overweight or underweight we're hyper focusing on someone's body instead of saying actually we should be focusing on health how do we measure health we're still talking about weight Mm -hmm. it's it's completely nuts to me yeah and whether you're saying your weight is bad or your weight is good you're still talking about weight and you're not talking about health and the more we talk about weight the more we're going to be feeding this eating disorder crisis Mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree In a nationally representative U.S.-based study, up to 23% of individuals with binge eating disorder had attempted suicide and virtually all, about 94%, reported lifetime mental health symptoms. 
70% mood disorders, 68% substance use disorders, 59% anxiety disorders, 49% borderline personality disorder, and 32% post-traumatic stress disorder. So what this is saying is people who have had, who have engaged in binge eating disorder usually have some other mental health issues associated or they're experiencing other health issues, mental health issues, aside from just binging food. And virtually all 94%, you know, reporting mental health system symptoms, which is pretty freaking crazy. Hey friends, did you know that the amount of muscle you have on your body is directly related to overall health and longevity as you age? Generally, people who have a healthy amount of muscle have lower rates of chronic illness like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and are better equipped to deal with acute illness like the flu. This is why Chase and I support the concept of muscle-centric medicine. To build healthy muscle, we need quality sources of protein. In addition to our quality meat, Chase and I also use protein powder to ensure we are getting enough protein each day. Our two favorite protein powders are the plant-based Organifi protein, which is organic, non-GMO, and glyphosate residue-free, and the animal-based whey protein by Keon, which is non-GMO and comes directly from grass-fed, pasture-raised cows with no antibiotics and virtually lactose-free. We love and use both daily in smoothies, stirred into yogurt, protein pancakes, and even baked goods. Getting adequate amounts of protein helps us feel satiated, build healthy muscle, recover faster, and maintain optimal body composition year-round. To try Organifi's plant-based protein, go to Organifi.com and use the code MINIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T, for a hefty 20% off. And for Keon Whey Protein, go to GetKeon.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N for 10% off, or just check the show notes below for the direct link. Cheers to muscle-centric medicine. Um, and so, yeah, it just like, it makes me sad. Totally. It's- <laughs> Honestly, like it is, it's just so sad that this is such a huge deal. And, um, you know, we still have just really bad information out there that's not helpful it's not actually helpful to people who are struggling. Yeah. Nationaleatingdisorders.org backslash statistics is where I got these numbers. And this is just a snapshot of a bunch of different statistics mm-hmm. they have. They also cite the studies with links under each statistic. So if you wanted to look at more or if you wanted to check our math, <laughs> you're welcome to go to that website. And that seems like the organization is doing a lot of things. So that's really, really cool. Obviously, there are some factors that are leading to this problem, this Mm -hmm. statistical nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanna list a few of those. And again, these are our best guesses, but social, cultural, and just media influence at large. Mm -hmm. Come on, it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. The promotion of thinness, being lean, or even being buff, they change from social circle to social circle tiny waist, big ass, that seems to be like the the current version of the female body that we all need to, uh, you know, put on top of the mountain. 
media, advertising, the algorithms that we use, the social circles that we're a part of. You know, if you go to San Diego, the ideal body type looks a lot different than the body type in Seattle. It just does. I've mm -hmm. lived in both cities for long periods of time. And my body has shifted and accommodated towards mm -hmm. skinny coffee drinking, cigarette smoking, hiking people in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest or beach, gym, muscle beach, wellness space, supplements, protein, let's go bro, body. Bodybuilder, yeah. influencer, yeah. It just changes. And so these, of course, contribute to uh, the way that you view food and the way that you view exercise. Um, and then, of course, there's a more recent fat acceptance movement uh, for clearly unhealthy yeah. people in many, yeah. many cases. And, Which and I just want to pause there for a second because this actually blows my mind that someone, you know, who is morbidly obese and we know all of the health implications, like increased risk for basically every, right. every systemic issue that it blows my mind that people are pressing and, and, and pushing this idea that they can be healthy at that size. It's the exact same because they might have some sort of, clearly they, they have, um, maybe some some hormone imbalances, maybe they have binge eating disorder, whatever it is that's getting them to that unhealthy size. How can we, we, we could swing it the other way and look at a woman who's 75 pounds with anorexia nervosa and you know she thinks she's overweight or fat or whatever. That is absolute madness for the internet, the interweb, people on social media to tell that woman, mm -hmm. no, girl, you're healthy. You can be healthy at any weight. You're good. You're beautiful. You're all the, like, yeah, she might be beautiful, but like, it's actually insane. You're, you're not helping that person by saying those things. And so it swings both ways. Like the insanity of it is yeah. just actually mind blowing mm -hmm. to me. Totally. Because you would never say that to a woman who's clearly underweight and looks like she is unwell. <laughs> the same applies for the other side of the spectrum. How is this happening? It's happening because huge money is behind people being obese and continuing to consume the products that are that are supporting their obesity. Uh, but again, rabbit trail, another topic. Yeah, yeah. Genetic and biological factors definitely play a role. Mm -hmm. We're doing a lot of research into genes right now. We just did some mm -hmm. gene testing. We haven't got our results yet, but I've been learning so much about this process. For instance, uh, your neurotransmitter activity oftentimes is related to genetic factors. And for instance, I've been looking at this one particular uh, gene called COMT, and it dictates your ability to metabolize stress, essentially. And are you stress comes in and stress comes out. And that in-between period is how long you experience the chemical uh, byproduct of stress, which turns into, for many people, anxiety and stress. And, Insomnia. And a lot of times, eating disorder isn't just immediately the byproduct. But if you are stressed out and you feel like you're losing control in your life, as we'll talk about in our mm -hmm. own experiences, you fixate on what you can control. And geez, food is one of those things that's so easy to sort of like pseudo mitigate the stress that you're experiencing in your life. And, mm -hmm. and these in many, many cases trickle into uh, the fact that you are genetically set up to probably have a likelihood that that might lean into if the environment's correct mm -hmm. uh, or, or the circumstances are, are set up for it, an eating disorder. Yeah. Then we have psychological factors that obviously play a role here um, 
individuals with low self-esteem who fixate on perfectionism. Maybe they have a, a huge amount of you know, childhood trauma that hasn't been worked through, um, mood disorders. All of these things can also play uh, a role in the development of eating disorders. So I think it's important to also say here that the increase in reported cases of eating disorders could also be attributed to the improved awareness of these different eating disorders and disordered eating, better diagnostic criteria, an increased willingness of individuals to seek help as therapy has become less taboo in our culture. Maybe more of these people are finding real professionals and, and getting diagnosed. Um, so it, it could it could be a combination of things that's that's um, contributing to this rise in these numbers. Um, but either way, it's it's a problem. And body dysmorphia and full-blown eating disorders in the modern world um, are are I don't think going away anytime soon, yeah. you know, with our current landscape. Totally. The, the last thing I'll say before we get into sharing a little bit about our own journeys through this is that eating disorders and disordered eating is very multifaceted. Yeah. Which is of course why we're going to bring on some legit professionals to get mm -hmm. into the, to the weeds even further. That was just a, a little bit of a taste, but addressing these conditions often requires a very comprehensive multidisciplinary approach, including education and awareness. You got to name it to tame it, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the fix every time. I definitely don't believe in naming to taming because people get obsessed with naming it and then they identify with the name and they become this victim. Mm -hmm. That's just a little piece of it. But mental, emotional, and dude, for me, it was even spiritual mm -hmm. support needed. Oftentimes, social and or relational changes have to be made. Mm -hmm. So this is not a, uh, there's not a silver bullet. No. And oftentimes, this includes a team of people. Because you might go to, to a psychiatrist or a therapist, and they're dealing with some aspect of the psyche, but... If you are someone who hyper-focuses on food, fitness, and your aesthetic appearance, and you're sitting next to a doctor or an individual who doesn't particularly look healthy, mm -hmm. the first thing you're going to do is like, they don't value health. Yeah. They're not going to be able to help me because I value health. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll talk about it in my journey. A, a personal trainer was more impactful to me than sitting down and trying to diagnose my compulsions because I was able to see firsthand communication that transcended words in the sense that this person who was training me was buff had a very moderate lifestyle worked out four times a week ate three meals a day always never ate past being full but never under ate at the same time and i looked at this person and i was like i think i've been lying to myself mm -hmm. because i might be able to moderate and yeah. and look this good because you had told yourself a story that you have to do these things to maintain a lean body exactly yeah and so the point is shout out to steven the point the point yeah, is to shout out to steven <laughs> the point is this is multifaceted. oftentimes it might require like a team of people mm -hmm. to work through yeah yeah absolutely might be a coach a trainer maybe a therapist maybe a shaman <laughs> right right <laughs> not that i'm pushing people towards that uh it needs to be definitely a call that you hear from within yourself yeah exploring plant, plant medicine and things but yeah do you want to jump into our 
our personal experiences? Yeah, let's get into our, our journeys uh, through disordered eating. Um, but first, guys, if you're loving the medicine, we would love to connect with you on our newsletter. Yeah. We send out a newsletter every single week called The Medicine Drop. And uh, we include a host of things. We include usually a quote and a journal prompt for the week. Uh, we always include links to our our podcasts and our products. We give discounts out to our products. Oh, and once a week, we give away a free product. Oftentimes, it's our Mushy Love or our Immune Intel HCC. It could be Organifi or King Coffee or anything that's in our medicine or cabinet. Or a book that we have right. had a guest on the show talking about. So uh, jump into the, to the newsletter. We mm-hmm. would love to see you. And you can uh, check the link in the show notes to sign up for the Medicine Drop. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Take me through your journey. All right. So yes, I will share my travels through orthorexia land. (laughs) I'm making light of it, but it really was um, a really tough lesson for me that stems all the way back to me in elementary school. And I took some notes here. So if it sounds like I'm reading or if I'm looking down, that's that's why I, I literally wrote yeah, my, my story out. Um, so yeah, I've, I've dealt with body image issues and dysmorphia since I was very young, probably about third or fourth grade. It didn't manifest into, um, you know, anything related to food, like restricting food or binging or, you know, excess exercise or anything like that until later in life. But from a very young age, I've, I was never like proud of my body or fully confident about my physical appearance. Um, and I've shared this story, um, many times on the podcast, I feel like, but, um, yeah, I had a, had a really tough conversation with my dad or rather he had a conversation with me when I was very young and basically pointed out that said the words like you need to go on a diet. And, um, I've always been like, uh, naturally like a muscular build and different than my sisters who were more like naturally very like wiry and skinny. I just, I have my mom's body and she's, she's thicker. She has thick limbs and muscular tone to her body and very athletic looking. And so the comparison really started very young, always aware of my very skinny friends and sisters through junior high and high school. Um, I felt different because I wasn't naturally skinny. I never became overweight or obese, but just that naturally thicker, muscular, athletic build was something that I was always thinking about. And then I go through high school with this this feeling and then through college um, and right about my senior year of dental hygiene school. So this was me about 20, 21, 22 years old around there. We were recently engaged and I started prepping like so many women do for our wedding. I told myself, I want to look bomb. I want to look banging on my wedding day. I want to look back at these pictures and know that I did everything I could to be the size that I want. And that's what I did. I am a type three achiever and I achieved that with flying colors, not in a, a healthy or you know particularly good way. But what this looked like was I downloaded the app, my fitness pal, and they have a little like equation. They say, okay, what's your, what's your weight now? What weight do you want to be? 
And then they do this math where it's like, okay, so if you want to lose this much weight or be this size, be this weight, then you need to eat this amount of calories. So the the calories that they prescribed to me was about 1200 calories a day, which now what I know just wild. Uh, is just the perfect the perfect equation to actually trash your metabolism just to reduce calories yeah. and be in a constant deficit. That is a great way to trash your metabolism and actually end up doing more harm than good. Storing body fat, things like that. It's just, it's just not good. But I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I started tracking every bite of food with my fitness pal. And I wasn't necessarily um, really strict yet with food. I wasn't um, like, oh, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. It was more just like, I'm going to eat as healthy as I can, as healthy as what I think. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to limit it to this 1200 calories. Well, I was also exercising basically every day during dental, uh, in dental hygiene school, I would either go in the morning before or go after with my friends. And this looked like, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of just straight running on the treadmill. And then it would be followed up by another 30 to 45 minutes of weight training, of resistance training. And I had no like plan. I would literally go on Pinterest and look up arm workout. And I would do like arms that day or like ab workout and I would do abs or leg or whatever, or I would just like rotate around the machines. There was no plan. There was no like coherence. It was just like, it's totally normal. It's totally Totally normal. normal. And it's just part of the process of individuating and becoming a wise adult and figuring out how to actually move your body in an intelligent way. So this is where I was at. So it was about an hour and a half of, of working out every single day, as well as being very active at my dental hygiene school. You know, you're running around clinic. It's a very stressful environment, as you can imagine. Um, And I was, you know, I was really striving to be top of my class and ace every test and and pass with flying colors. And I was able to do that, um, but it really took a toll on my body, um, my stress levels, hormones, everything. Um, I hadn't really gotten to the point yet where I was noticing um, like physical manifestations of symptoms or anything. I was just noticing like whatever I'm doing is working. So I better yeah. do it more and better. I do you remember know? you had like kinker sores all over the inside of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And that was just because probably a host of things, but you know, I was in, I, I was very stressed and they're usually stress induced for me. Um, these sores inside my mouth. And then I was just in a very acidic yeah. state all the time. So yeah, the, the my fitness pal equation worked <laughs> in that I lost a lot of weight, but it I I know that I lost a lot of muscle mass too, which is not good. I saw my body drastically changing and I loved the comments that people were making, like, Oh my god, girl, you look so good. I haven't seen you in forever. What are you doing? You look amazing. And that just was fuel to my mm-hmm. fire to like keep doing what I was doing. But still on the on the inside, I was never fully 100% confident with my body, even though I got to the size that I wanted, I was never fully confident because again, it was, it was externally based. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, for, it wasn't because of the love that I have for my body that I'm doing these things. It was because I literally didn't like my body. Mm-hmm. So I was doing these things. So 
we get married, we move to Seattle, uh, we start adulting, which is also stressful. And there was less, you know, with both of us working full time and commute, you know, I was riding the bus to and from work and then I would come home and make dinner and there just wasn't as much time in my schedule to work out. So in inevitably I worked out less. And then I combining that with, I stopped tracking my food. So I I didn't really know how many calories I was, you know, getting. And just, I created the story in my mind that I needed to cook like your mom and I needed to make big meals with bread and ice cream and dessert and this and that. Like, I don't know where the story came from. It was completely from my own brain. So I started eating foods that I hadn't in years. And of course, my body started clinging to this extra influx of calories and then less working out. And so after the first year of marriage, I had gained probably about 20 to 25 pounds and felt absolutely miserable in my body. I felt just like the lowest the lowest I had ever felt about my body. I was like ashamed because I had gotten to that size for our wedding that I was actually like proud of. And I knew like, oh, I can be skinny. And then after a year of marriage, my body just hanging on to this and just absorbing it, what it felt like a sponge. I was just, I did not feel sexy or confident. I had horrible inner dialogue with myself I didn't, and I didn't even want to talk to you about it because I, I was no just, idea. I was just ashamed. And I, I, of course it like impacted our intimacy and my confidence in that. And a whole host of things impacted our intimacy for sure. But that was certainly one of them. I just didn't even want to admit that I had, had gotten my, myself to this point. And then after about a year of marriage, we, we had this infamous lake talk where we were leaving priest lake and i just broke down in the car as we're leaving the lake and i just was like i can't do this anymore and uh, i'm just not happy and i just like let the floodgates open and you just received this vomiting uh you know this projectile vomiting of my feelings of of self-hatred over the last year and I don't even know what I said or how it came out I just knew that I finally told you that I was like not happy with my body and me and I didn't know what to do yeah I was very uh scared and concerned and I felt so bad and I I had no clue like I was literally blown away when you were like I gained weight I'm like I don't haven't even noticed it which is so crazy because you could look at the side-by-side pictures and it's a drastic change. Yeah. And I mean, I, I obviously mean, it speaks to the fact that you just love me. I, you've, but... you've done that where you've shown me the pictures and I'm like, oh, I guess, yes, you're right. I guess you're right. Yeah. But I, I've always just loved you. I've just, yeah. I mean, again, loved you so much. And I was in my own sort of like hell. I, my first yeah. year of my career, I was on the road all the time. Seeing you felt like, you know, just medicine every time. So I wasn't like tracking your weight (laughs) yeah no i know and obviously i'm grateful for that you know that's the ideal but um but it's a pivotal moment in my journey too which i'll get to yeah Yeah, that that sort of we from there we made a radical shift in the way that we ate food yeah and so i switched i i flipped the switch again and i was i was i became obsessed um in my mind skinny meant healthy so I just needed to get skinny again. And we we both became obsessive. Um, and I think, you know, we it, 
there were so many things that we were doing wrong, but we could also feel like things within our relationship at this time, like drifting apart and not having a deep spiritual connection, exercise and very strict eating gave us both like a sense of control over our life. Mm -hmm. And that maybe if we were happier with our external, you know, appearance that somehow our life and relationship would also get better magically. Like there was no like, conscious thought going into this. It was all subconscious and unconscious programming and stories and all of that. Um, but we, we did, um, both sort of navigate this in the same way. And, uh, it was really, really, uh, dysfunctional. And I was on the road. So I was gone four or five days a week which anybody who has neurotic tendencies, when nobody's watching you yeah. and you don't have that social pressure, yeah. you get like free reign on how crazy yeah. it can be. Yeah. And so I was doing the same thing on the road. I was hyper-focused on my food and, and making sure that I was exercising like every day. Mm-hmm. Just need, making sure, because I was going out to eat with clients and staying up late and drinking, that I was working it all off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was the same. And I look back now and I was so undernourished, so under protein, like it's just laughable, but this is where we were at. So you guys know our story. We separated and and divorced in 2016. And after this, things got even worse for me. Um, because now my, my inner dialogue is not only just associated with my physical appearance, but also my emotional state and, and how I carried myself through our marriage and how I handled the separation and divorce. Like it was weighing on me, but I was not allowing myself to go there. So now I had the stresses of the external, you know, physical validation that I was seeking. Um, but also the, just the, the dumpster fire that was my emotional and mental and spiritual state. Um, and then this is when up until this point, I really didn't see much like physically manifest in symptoms and because you can, the body is resilient and it can, it can go for a while on low calories, low protein, and it can get by. But for me, I got to this point where my body was screaming at me to make a change. And I just ignored it Um, because I liked, again, I liked how I was looking and feeling and, you know, fitting into my clothes and stuff. And so, um, at this point, I really started to notice physical manifestations, physical symptoms that I was not okay with. Um, my hair was falling out in clumps. I had a rash on half my body. Um, I had cystic acne for the first time in my life. I was one of those annoying girls in high school that never had a zit and like knew nothing about washing my face or anything. And then get to, you know, being a, a young adult or in my, you know, twenties. And now I have these like painful cystic acne. I couldn't digest any of my food, extremely low stomach acid. Um, I had fainting spells. I, uh, I, I had a self-induced hypothyroidism. So this is when everything kind of came to a head. And um, my identity at this point was so enmeshed with my healthy habits and cutting out foods that I thought would hinder my progress. So 
it was easily, I was cutting out foods right and left. And I would then tell myself and even tell other people out loud, oh, I'm not a person who eats bread. I'm not a person who eats sugar. I'm not a person who eats dessert. So it was like enmeshed with my identity. I was in such a restrictive state all the time that this is so weird to observe in yourself. I was so restricted, so under calories, so undernourished for 99% of the time that Sometimes I would have like, uh, there would be like a glitch in the matrix where, you know, working at a dental dental office, people bring in cookies and candy and cupcakes and treats all the time, weirdly, at a dentist office. Yeah, it I happens know. all the Crazy. time. Same in like other medical yeah. providers' offices or whatever. So this stuff would be around all the time in like the break room. And so I'd go back there for a little sip of water or whatever. And once in a while, nobody would be in there and I would sneak. I would like rush. I would like take a cookie and like just shove it in my mouth and like go in the bathroom and just enjoy the experience by myself. But I wouldn't let anyone else see what I was doing because I had this identity, this persona to uphold to my coworkers and friends and family that I was the healthy girl. I wasn't the girl that ate sugar. So I was like sneaking this. It was so bizarre. And I can't tell you what was going on in my mind. It was just like a break in my judgment at the time. And um, yeah, really, really interesting to look back on. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot there, you know, yeah, psychologically. Yes. And you have, when you've tabooed something, Mm -hmm. you by, and this goes across, this is across the board. If you've taboo things in life at large, when you engage with that taboo and nobody's looking, you experience weird pleasure Mm -hmm. from it. Yeah, but and then it's but it's very short lived. It's short lived. You've because damned you've damned something up, and that the dam has no open gates, and so when you open one gate, it's going to blow it open because you've been literally not allowing any relief for so long. Yeah, it's just too much for one moment to be able to handle from how much mm-hmm. you've been keeping dammed up. Yeah, exactly, and uh, yeah, that it's it's. Uh, it's, it's kind of scary, honestly. Um, but yeah, it, so you feel that initial pleasure, but then it's followed by guilt yeah. and shame and even worse inner dialogue. Like you're so weak. You like, you can't even say no, or, you know, this, this just hatred of self perpetuates. So at this time, you know, all these physical manifestations started started to manifest and I knew that something was wrong, but I wasn't yet fully taking ownership of my experience. I just thought, well, something's wrong with me. I better go to a naturopathic doctor to figure it out. I knew enough at this point that like mainstream medicine was not going to be able to help me. So I got a recommendation for a naturopath and uh, went and had blood work done and, and, you know, food sensitivity test. And she had me like track my food and, and you know, she wanted to see like what I was eating on a day-to-day basis. And she tried her best to help me, but I was not in a state, like I said, I was not in a position yet where I was willing to take full ownership of what I was doing to myself. So she would give me advice to like, girl, you just need to like, you know, chill and like eat a sandwich. It's okay. And I would be like, that's not my problem. You know, I would be like sassy about it and uh, just was not willing to like really hear her. But of course she was right. You know, the, the feeling of just like, just chill, just chill. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be absolutely perfect. Um, But 
one of the appointments that I had with her, she said something to me that really stuck. And um, she was looking at my blood work and my hormone levels, which I had basically zero estrogen, like zero. And uh, she asked me, do you want to have kids someday? And at the time I was just like, yeah, of course. I didn't realize that what she was saying was that currently, if you wanted to have kids right now, you probably wouldn't be able to. You are you are having self-induced fertility issues based on what I'm looking at with your hormones. And I was just like, yeah, someday. And I, I wasn't picking up. She was very kind and she didn't just like blatantly spell it out for me. She was just like, okay, okay. Um, but that's what she was saying is like, currently you are infertile. Hey friend, are you like me looking for ways to age gracefully and beautifully, but also naturally? If so, then we must be aware of the nutrients that we are gifting our body and cells to resist premature aging. One of my favorite ways to do that is with Tremella Mushroom. Tremella has been used for centuries for its unmatched cellular hydration, aka healthy glowing skin, by holding 500 times its weight in water. I get my daily Tremella with Mushy Love Latte. This is Chase and I's delicious mushroom elixir that we formulated from scratch to support healthy, hydrated skin cells, shiny, strong hair, gut health, and robust immunity. My favorite way to enjoy Mushy Love is blended with cold milk. It seriously tastes like liquid graham crackers. You can also enjoy it steamed or blended into your vanilla protein shake or as a cinnamon swirly coffee creamer. To grab yours, go to getmushylove.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for a nice discount. Cheers to aging gracefully and naturally. So here's the thing with all of this. I thought what I was doing was healthy. I didn't know that fasting every day for a year was not healthy because I had heard someone talk about how great how, how great fasting is for the body. I thought everything that I was doing was healthy. And, and obviously they weren't because we know that the body doesn't lie. <laughs> the body's always reflecting back to us how, how well we are being God to it. But I still was in this position where I was not ready to assume um, responsibility. Finally, we're rounding third here. Finally, um, I'll never forget the day that I really woke up and um, I was in the shower and washing my hair and another huge clump of hair fell out in my hand and I just crumpled to the floor and told myself, I have to figure this out. No one is going to figure this out for me. The abs are not worth it. And I knew that I had to change basically everything in my life if I wanted to feel better. And um, I had this internal knowing that everything has to change. And it did over the course of the next few years. But at this point, I knew I had to rewrite the stories that I was telling myself about my body, about my worth, my idea of health, everything. And this was the major turning point where I had to swallow any pride and admit that I was a fit, sick person. Not that I was using that language back then, but I, I had to admit that I knew nothing about real holistic health. And my intentions up until that point being 
aesthetic only, um, they had to change or else I might not, you know, be able to have kids or this might affect me long-term in a way that I have no idea. So it was a, it was a major pivotal point and, um, um, I'll stop there, but that was basically my point where I was like, I have to change. I have to figure this out. Yeah. No, incredible. I mean, just obviously I was a part of a lot of that and, um, we've talked a lot about when we were apart, the things that we did and, and the breakdowns and the breakthroughs, but I'll come back with some questions and obviously we'll get to the point where, you know, how you kind of bridged from this moment into having some, some level of, uh, moderation and, mm-hmm. and awareness with, with the relationship with your body and, and movement and food. Um, and for me, yeah, tell us, you know, it's, there's certain similarities, especially on timelines, wild similarities and synchronicities, mm-hmm. but really a different version of disordered eating as far as the psychology of it. And I was always an athlete, always worked out. Like I was the kid who was doing push-ups and sit-ups in my room in elementary school. Um, I liked that it set me apart. I liked the fact that I was someone who worked out from an early age. Um, I had little, you know, I asked my parents if I could get hand weights at the sports and outdoor store. And I had little like 15 pound dumbbells in my bedroom. And I would, again, like fifth, sixth grade, I would use them because I thought it was cool. And I wanted to be buff. And I would look at athletes who were clearly jacked, you know, and want to look like that and have bodies like that. And I was always someone who was pretty naturally ripped. Like I was a ripped little kid in middle school and uh, elementary school. Probably because you used weights and turned on growth hormone faster than your friends. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, And so it was always a part of my life, but the aesthetic was always a part of my life too. And it wasn't that I was like trying to look hot for girls. It's really never been about that. It was that the physical manifestations of the work that you put in set me apart in some way. And I am a type three achiever and I am someone who prides themselves in all of the things that I do on excellence. Mm -hmm. I almost don't want to do something if I know that I can't be excellent at it. And so when it comes to my body and the way that my physical body would manifest, it was really, really important for me to be excellent. And I was, I, here's the problem from an early age was defining what excellence meant and looked like and where things get, get shaky is when those definitions start to veer away from what a healthy, balanced, normal definition of excellence looks like, you know? And so my own definitions became the target that I was reaching for into my adult life. So I started with this relationship with physical activity very early, always an athlete through high school. I didn't know this, but it's important that my family has eating disorder uh, behaviors and and clinical diagnosed eating disorders in my extended family, um, and that is something that that and was immediate and immediate, just just totally unknown to yeah. me. Yeah, I'm not here to drop names, um, but it was something very prevalent, but out of my awareness when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Um, I didn't eat like shit in high school because my family cooked meals. We ate lots of protein and had solid carbohydrates and Uh, you know, fruits and veggies, but we had a lot of nineties food, you know, we had a lot of cereal and we had a lot of Costco runs of ice cream bars and stuff. And that never mattered. Um, but I did get pretty bulky in high school 
And I remember um, comments about like, whoa, dude, you're getting thick and that kind of stuff. And uh, funny enough, once I noticed that, I immediately changed. You know, I, I started, you know, working out more. And by the time I graduated high school and got to college, I had developed a relationship with my weight management through my exercise habits and the sports that I played. And it was always manageable because as long as I was working out and as long as I was playing basketball, I could kind of eat whatever I want as long as it was generally healthy. That continued through college. Always pretty good shape. Always looked muscular. And around the timeline of us getting married, which was my senior year of college, I didn't really see any change that needed to be made. But what did happen is I started studying for uh, the CPA exam, which is a host of different exams that I had to take to get the certifications that I could have in order to do um, the job that I was going to be doing for the to start my career. And it was insane. I mean, studying for the CPA exam is wild. And there's four exams. And I took them all in about three months, which was just completely bonkers. And so what I started doing is I felt I felt nervous and out of control. I was studying eight hours plus a day for months. And I started to hyper manage my workouts and my food. I'd never, ever done this before. And so I was super OCD around the kinds of food that I was eating uh, when I would eat it. You know, it was like, I didn't know what health or non-health really was, but it'd be like yogurt, granola for breakfast and coffee. And then it would be uh, a chicken sandwich for lunch. And then dinner was a salad and meat, but I was getting focused on amounts and repetition and compulsive behavior, which of course now I see as a byproduct of feeling out of control and somewhat stressed out in Mm -hmm. another environment that I quickly went to what I could control and feel some level of pseudo um, uh, comfort with. And it probably created some level of simplicity for you in your day where you're like, okay, I got 20 minutes to eat. I know I'm going to eat a chicken breast. Like you don't have to think and put your mind in other places. So there's probably a little bit of that too. And so oddly enough with that regimen, I got in even better shape. And so I got graduated college looking pretty great. We got married. I looked pretty great. Like probably the best I ever looked. I looked like aesthetically very pleasing, if you will. (laughs) Um, And that just kind of continued into our marriage. And I worked out four or five times a week and sort of ate whatever I want. But when we had this, the infamous lake conversation Mm -hmm. about a year into marriage where you came to me and were like, just in tears, just heartbroken and saying like, I can't do this. I can't eat like this. I can't cook like this. We can't, you know, partake in this type of lifestyle. And I was absolutely shocked. I felt like I had done something to you that, um, was causing you a lot of pain. And so I was like, okay, let's do anything and everything. Let's fix this. We can, I, again, this is how dumb I thought about health. I was like, we'll, we'll eat more smoothies for meals. We'll do juice fasts. Cause that's what you just sort of know. And I was like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll really cut back. Okay. And we'll start exercising a lot. And, um, and so I went bonkers and I will not lie to you. My underlying neuroses, OCD, compulsive tendencies, this was the little gateway that they were looking Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. And I was super stressed out in my job, like very, very stressed out. 
I could feel that our relationship had changed. We weren't like kids having a blast, totally in love anymore. We were like, shit is hard. Shit is hard. And we're kind of depressed. And so this just blew open for me what would become years of compulsive behavior with exercise and eating. And I didn't know anything about health. I knew how to lift. I knew how to work out. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about nutrition. Yeah. And so what I thought was healthy was lots of vegetables and fruit and white meat and lots of smoothies and juices. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did for years. Um, all, the, all the way up to where we get three years into marriage. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that around year three is when we started to have real issues and what would ultimately lead to divorce. I was so skinny that you would barely recognize me if you saw a picture of it. Yeah. I was clearly malnourished, was not even close to hitting the protein that I should have been eating. Um, I was running, doing cardio almost every single day. Um, and I was lifting four or five times a week. And so I'm about a 170 to 175 pound man now. Probably naturally, if I did nothing and just ate like I do, I'd probably be like, yeah, 165, 170. I was down to 140 or below. And uh, it, which at first was, oh my God, you're so ripped. And then it was like, dude, you're, you, are you okay? And I, was, I would be shocked when people would ask me that. My skin turned orange from eating too many carrots because I had this obsession with calories and carrots are very, very low calorie and you can eat all of them. And oh, guess what? I was starving. We had nothing in the cupboards that wasn't a vegetable. We ate meat once a day and it'd be like one chicken breast for dinner. Mm-hmm. I had no clue and I was starving and I would, I was just like, I, I don't know what's going on. We, I remember a comment being blown away by, by you giving me feedback that I was too skinny. And basically saying like, sort of like me, and I'm not trying to put you on blast, but you're like, are you ever going to like gain muscle? And I would remember being like, just heartbroken Mm. and being like, I'm trying to be healthy, you know, just no clue. And then what I didn't know then, but I know now is body dysmorphia. I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, oh, nice. I have a six pack today. We're good to go. But no clue that I'd lost all the weight in my face, all the weight on my neck, neck, Um, shoulders. My ass was gone. My waist was like 28 inches, um, which is basically just my hip bones. And I spent probably a year looking like this. Um, And it's funny because my sex drive hadn't really changed. When you're young, you can just grind through so much. I was highly productive in my work i was cortisol baby (laughs) crushing it at work um but our relationship's a mess so we divorce and this is such a clear problem in our relationship both of our relationship to to health and wellness but we divorce and i get to san diego and i'm just around a different environment of people and i'm super under nourished and put two and two together and start eating And what I tell myself is that like, I'm single now, I can eat what I want, meaning I can stock my refrigerator with more things than just white meat and vegetables. And so I started eating finally to the degree that I needed to, to to at least gain weight. And I did, I I gained 20 pounds within like a couple months, you know, three three or four months maybe. And your body just like, oh God, thank you. But what never went away was my compulsion with the food 
So I got really focused on the types of food. I didn't eat red meat, but I would eat tons of chicken. And like, tofu. And tons of tofu because I thought it was healthy and didn't realize it was made from like GMO, GMO soy. soy. <laughs> um, I would protein powders, supplements. Mm-hmm. I start getting really into supplements and I'm tracking and counting and I'm listening to health podcasts and trying to do everything that these experts are doing, missing uh, the the forest through the trees, which is, you know, you need to be hitting the, the major pillars of health before you get fine-tuned into supplements mm-hmm. and counting yeah. macros and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and I start working out twice as much. I used to work out four to five times a week and I was still way too skinny. Now I'm working out seven days a week. Because I'm using exercise and tracking my calories to distract myself from the fact that I am heartbroken and that I am depressed from being divorced and from basically being broken up with. Um, And so what masks all of this is that I look good for the first time in a long time and I'm getting you know, dates and I'm having a social life and I'm 27 and looking pretty good all in all. My body responded really well to food, believe it or not, but I was still exercising every single day, like cardio every day, lifting every day to some degree, even when my body would hurt, I couldn't stop. It was such a compulsion. If I didn't, I, I, so many days where I would not work, I'd be like, I I know I need to rest. I know I need to rest. I'm just going to go for a walk. And then a couple hours into the day, I'm like, I got to do something. And so I end up working out or I'm just going to jump on the elliptical for a little while or whatever. It was such a compulsion. And this went years. Um, I got to being, you know, we get divorced at 26. I sort of find um, some reprieve by eating more 26, 27 timeframe. And 2017, I'm 27 years old. I enter into a really intense season of my professional career. And I'm also continuing to do all this shit. And I'm like, all right, I can't sleep very much because I got to work a lot. So I'm sleeping four or five hours a night, but I'm intermittent fasting because I've heard about intermittent fasting. And so I, I start skipping breakfasts and I'm swimming a lot. So I'm swimming like an hour before the work day. And then I'm not eating till like noon or one. I do this for too long and I sort of out of nowhere start losing weight like ridiculous ridiculous amounts of weight really really fast and uh chronic fatigue like my bones hurt type of fatigue and so i went from about 160 pounds to about 135 um almost back to the look that i had when we were getting divorced and i know it's i just know it's bad i know something's really fucked up so i go and get blood work and kind of like you my my male hormones were like below below low mm-hmm. um normal is about three the low end of normal and this is very low still is 300 nanograms per deciliter of testosterone i was at like 150 yeah. as a 27 year old um i was anemic i did not have enough iron in my body and i passed out i blacked out uh, in my condo which was kind of the final straw like in front of your parents, didn't you? I was I was away. I called my parents. Oh. That my parents my parents came to stay with me because they were God bless them. They were yeah. so concerned and they just didn't know how to they tried to confront me years before about Yeah. They, I mean, the fact that I they thought I had an eating disorder. And I was like angry, hostile in response, yeah. which which is very classic, and I apologize to them. <laughs> for trying to help me with tools that they probably didn't have the ability to communicate well enough. Um, 
So they were, they were very aware that something was up. Um, and so, I mean, you guys have heard this story where I just, I end up quitting my job. Um, I, at 27, I, I, I realized that health and wellness is a passion. I love this stuff, by the way. I absolutely love, I can't get enough of learning, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it in all the wrong ways. And, I, and I'm at this point now, I'm 27 years old, having adrenal exhaustion. This is full-blown adrenal shutdown. And I'm aware of what's going on. This is adrenal fatigue. I need to stop working out. I need to start eating more food. And at that point it was, it was less about the food and it was more about, I just need to stop working out so much because my body just needed some time to integrate. Mm -hmm. And I was so consciously incompetent. And that's when I knew I had a problem. That's when I knew that this had become a, a compulsion neurotic byproduct of trauma. That this is not going to be something that you just fix on your own. No. So I, got to this point where I knew that I couldn't do this by myself. Um, I had a plant medicine journey and it was so powerful that I had to solve this before I could even deal with my divorce that I had this vision. It was almost like I've I've said, talked about this on the podcast before at the end of the uh, last crusade of Indiana Jones. It was like when he, he goes through these challenges and he's walking through these various challenges in like this cave and there's all these cobwebs, these various layers of cobwebs that he's having to like peel through to get to the place that he wants to go. And I have this plant medicine experience where I have these cobweb type things that I have to peel through to get to the life that I want. And the life that I want is I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm successful, I'm in love. I can't even think about that because the first layer is my relationship to exercise and food. The second layer is my divorce. And then the third is my like relationship to God or whatever. It's, there was sort of this sequence and it was so clear that I needed to start addressing this shit. And so I leave my my way too stressful job that I probably should have left sooner. And um, I had been friends with and working as a contractor um, for different startup environments and, and went to Organifi and was a part of growing Organifi. And, um, I just, for the first time ever, like asked for help and I hired, uh, Steven Steigler, who's a personal trainer here in San Diego. He's one of my best friends in the world. His wife, I worked with very closely at Organifi. She's one of my best friends in the world. And I basically went to him (laughs) to his feet and was like, I need to start over. (laughs) Like, don't be misguided by the fact that I'm lean and look ripped and I work out all the time. I want to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Help me. Help me. And uh, so I started a program called Precision Nutrition, and it went through full educational nutrition, um, full education on exercise uh, mechanics, and I spent years working with him and slowly but surely uh, kind of limped my way back to uh, some level of moderate exercise Mm -hmm. and he was really um an angel for you totally because he under he started to really understand how deep this went for you and uh you've told this story to to me certainly and and maybe on the podcast before but you know he he would like check in with you like hey hey man uh i know you had probably a stressful day you might be thinking about hitting the gym, but remember it's a rest day. Yeah. And uh, it, it, at that he time. He did that to me as I was walking out of the gym. Yeah. He would text me and be like, just want to make sure you're not going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
like I'm, I'm trying to think of moments too, because I hope it resonates with someone. Um, there were moments where I would, because I didn't mention, but I would binge eat too. And then I would, I would purge through like exercise. a whole box of cereal exactly. or something. Yeah. So I would, and I smoked a lot of cannabis because I was coping with my heartache and my, if I was, for instance, in the evening sitting at home and I wasn't distracting myself with something, I was getting very sad because I knew that I had a problem at this point. And I also knew that I'd completely left unaddressed our relationship. And then I was, I was leaving religion. I'd left religion. There were so many of these things that I'd put zero minutes into finding closure on that were wounds. They were wounds, just open wounds that I was ignoring through painkillers. And the painkillers were food, exercise, and probably a little too much cannabis. Um, but the cannabis would relieve the inhibitions that I would hyper micromanage with food so that I would get high on, let's say a Friday or Saturday night after coming back from the bars and I had a box of golden grams and that was be gone. And then I would wake up with guilt and a stomach ache and go for a six or seven mile run because I need, I knew the exact calories that I needed to burn off mm-hmm. through the exercise. Yeah. And then I would feel like shit. And even though I'd burn the calories off and I, and I wasn't going to lose my six pack, my knees hurt, my back hurt, my skin was aging, my hair was falling out. Um, and that happened more than 10 times over the course of a few years. So it wasn't just that I had a moment like, and so I can very much resonate with the mental health condition of an eating disorder or disordered eating because dude, I felt trapped in this. And I also felt embarrassed Mm -hmm. because I was a guy and this is a girl's thing. That's what you were telling yourself. Totally. Um, and like, I also had had people try to tell me and I basically told them to fuck off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's hard to just say or admit now. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Heavy stuff. So one of the things I wanted to bring up, <clears throat> I probably should have mentioned it earlier, but critical resource that I wish I would have had sooner is mm-hmm. the book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy oh my God, yeah. by our dear friend and mentor, Paul Check, But he has a diagram in that book that is the yin-yang symbol. You know, everybody knows the yin-yang single. And one side is yin and one side is yang. And what Paul does in this book is that he goes through yin exercise and nutrition behaviors and yang exercise and nutrition behaviors. Because the theory, the idea is we are constantly in this back and forth between stress and rest and yin and yang. And so yang is this penetrating stress outward. outward. This is lifting, right? If you're not restoring, Mm -hmm. overeating would be almost like a stressor or undereating a stressor, exercising a stressor. You need to compensate that with rest, digest, mm-hmm. moderation, uh, sleep, sauna, breath work. And this beautiful formula is not calories in, calories mm-hmm. out. It's actually yin and yang. Mm-hmm. And that 
when I think about the bridge to where we're at now is such a beautiful representation of what has been the target for both of us to Mm -hmm. get to, which is how do we have this beautiful relationship with the yin and yang of our diet and exercise lifestyles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say for me, um, the bridge was actually participating in the um, the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. That was my initial bridge into um, really wanting to understand holistic health. And, and for anyone who's not aware, um, the Academy of Culinary Nutrition is out of Canada. And I at this time, I moved back home um, with my parents, my mom and, and her husband, and lived with them for about a year while I was in this phase, this Academy of Culinary Nutrition. I stepped away from dental hygiene pretty much. Uh, I was doing like temping here and there, um, but really focused on this program because I wanted to learn clearly I didn't know anything about health and nutrition, really. Um, I thought I did based off of like podcasts and stuff, but it wasn't real balanced health. It was all external based. Um, And so I signed up for the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and went through that. And it's really like a, a program that's designed to teach you how to use food as medicine and did that absolutely loved it and there, this was like the the crack in the door to like oh there's so much more to food than just calories in calories out or is this food going to make me fat or skinny mm-hmm. and there's so much more to food than it being good or bad right and so that was definitely a bridge for me um to get to where we are now that's like there's so much more than than just is this going to make me skinny or fat? It's like f- food is so much more. It can, you know, it can be healing and, and understanding the m- more, you know, like micronutrients mm-hmm. and things like that. And even just macronutrients. And, um, I just didn't understand any of that before. And so this really lit under me a fire for really wanting to understand and go deeper into, um, true health and, and real nutrition. All right, real talk. If you're anything like me, finding quick foods that are actually healthy and intentionally sourced is not the easiest task these days. Take something like jerky. 99% have added sugars, preservatives, and are sourced from conventional non-organic farms from stressed and possibly diseased animals. Yikes. Okay, what about protein or granola bars? Oftentimes these bars have way more sugar than protein and the protein itself is usually bottom of the barrel, cheap and low quality. We used to have the hardest time while traveling, like what the heck are we supposed to eat when we need something quick? Then I discovered Paleo Valley. Hallelujah. Chase and I's favorite when we need something convenient, like during travel. The beef or turkey sticks and superfood bars are literally an answer to my prayers. They are made from real whole foods with no added sugars or mystery ingredients and are super delicious. Even kids love them. Get this, Paleo Valley sources their meat and their bone broth protein exclusively from organic 
regenerative farmers. The animals are pasture-raised, grass-fed their entire life, and the farmers themselves are practicing regenerative farming. This means that they are actually healing our Earth's soil rather than killing it and stripping it like conventional farms. I feel so good knowing that I'm blessing my body with high-quality foods and supporting our Earth and future generations by supporting Paleo Valley. If you want to try for yourself, you can use the direct link in the show notes to check out Paleo Valley and use the code MEDICINE, that's M-E-D-I-C-I-N for a discount, or just check them out in our medicine cabinet at getmimifit.com. We're bringing you only the best, boo. Cheers. So that was definitely my bridge. That was back in 20. 18, 20, I think I graduated in 2019. And, um, that was obviously the, the year that we got back together as well. So there was a lot circulating around that time for me. You know, that's a great point. And the reason there are so many health professionals and people who are really, really intelligent and balanced and moderate about their nutrition and exercise habits out there is because they're coming from a world of having been uh, disordered in Mm -hmm. their eating and movement Mm -hmm. patterns. But what they did is they said, I'm going to take this obsession, this obsessive compulsiveness and transmute it and alchemize it into becoming very intelligent in this space. Because once you are informed of the Mm -hmm. things that you're doing that are negative, you are now sitting with the responsibility to change. Otherwise, it's your damn fault, you know? Mm -hmm. And so once you equip uh, yourself with the tools to know what cards to play and which ones to, you know, hold, it's actually very, very empowering. Yeah. Because, again, it it might take consultation like it did with Mm -hmm. me. It took a personal trainer, somebody who was very moderate and balanced things that I'd told myself I'd never be able to do, but witnessing this person partake and live healthy. I started to implement them. I started to learn more. I started to have a relationship with the macronutrients, the micronutrients and the level of rest that I needed such that I started to feel better. And once you feel better, Mm -hmm. you have enough of the experiential feedback to go. Yeah. I can change now. Yeah. I can do this. Feeling better, (laughs) even if your body changes a little bit, feeling better trumps looking a a particular way any day of the week. Yeah. It it just, it's so much better. Once you have that baseline of like, I feel like shit and have felt like shit for years. And then you start to feel better. It's like, all right, this is it that I I have to keep going because I'm feeling better and better and better. I don't care that my body's changing a little bit. It's like the good version of when you hit jackpot on the slot machines and you're like, I'm good. I'm going to keep going for a little while (laughs) because you get that feeling. And in this case, it's not a slot machine. You actually have the ability to support feeling this way Mm -hmm. into the future. It's not just happenstance. You know, I remember waking up certain days and feeling fucking awful and being like, why do I feel so bad? Mm-hmm. And just no clue. Yeah. And now I'm leveled to, uh, with some ability able to self-diagnose. Um, but I also have a lot, a lot of times I can be like, man, I'm going to actually have a lot of energy this week because here's all the things that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I'm sleeping good and um, hitting my, my you know, protein various protein goals, goals yeah. and getting moderate yeah. level of exercise in. It's just really, really freeing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you want to go through some of our major learnings? Yeah. yeah. Um, we we put together a list of things that we really learned about ourselves and how we have 
evolved our consciousness through this enormous catalyst for both of us. Um, do you want to just alternate maybe? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So the first one that came to my mind was you cannot hate your body to real health. So if the foundation of our desire to change is rooted in dislike or unfair judgment of our body or body dysmorphia, um, we will likely resort to unhealthy habits to reach the goal at all costs. And obviously this is a problem. This is what (laughs) I did. Um, It's just low frequency all around and it is not sustainable if we actually want to live long, happy, healthy lives and want to feel great long term. So rather, our fitness and health goals should be rooted in love, in love for this beautiful meat suit vessel that I, I get to I get to wear and traverse through this 3D life experience. So an example here would be, uh, you know, one of the motivations for me to over exercise and under eat was I do this because I dislike how I look in pictures or I dislike my thighs and I'm afraid of getting fat. Yeah. Versus now I exercise because I love building strength and I love um you know making my body more resilient and harder to kill. And so uh, that's just you know a change in the intention with which we engage in different health practices. So you cannot hate your body to real health. Totally. I love that. Um, I, I had a quote or a thought that came to me this morning. Um, and it's just simple, but what I learned, what I realized is that I fought a war with my body for freedom that I never got. Mm, wow. That's so good, man. Yeah. I clearly felt my freedoms in my marriage in my work life what was i passionate about what did i love i never felt like i had a way to escape the obligations and the to-dos and the stress and the th- all the things that i was supposed to be doing except by going so hard in the gym and micromanaging the shit out of what i ate to experience relief which was pseudo freedom mm-hmm. but it ultimately was just a trail into prison yeah 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 that's really freaking heavy yeah but i like that i like that quote thank you i think it encapsulates it nicely but um yeah another thing i learned was uh, about myself was that i was using exercise to escape the emotional baggage and turmoil that i did not want to face in my inner world now i do not try to escape my any sort of strong or even negative emotion I sit with them. I work through them um, using all the tools that I've I've gathered uh, over the last six plus years, and I know that they're there for a reason. I obviously have a great support system in you. That if I'm overwhelmed with any sort of negativity or strong emotion, I don't use exercise to escape anymore. Right. I use it to enhance my life, not to escape my yep. life. That's really good, and really similar to me. Uh, we've mentioned this throughout the conversation, but exercise and diet became a control and coping mechanism for me. I was facing challenges and stressors that felt overwhelming and out of control, marriage, career. I left religion. Um, I felt, I felt 
outside of the box. I didn't have a container anymore. You know, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to build this structure of my health life that's going to keep me contained and safe and I'm going to have control over it. And it's not that that's, it's not that diet and fitness is a always a bad coping mechanism. Coping mechanisms can be really important for challenging times in your lives. Yeah, better than opiates. Right. The problem was is that this was very detrimental to my well-being. Mm-hmm. What I do now, how I've changed this is that yes, movement and diet can be incredible complementary experiences for a stressful life. But when I engage with them in a non-stressed way, yeah. when I realize that I can have a session in the gym that is the opposite of stress, it's restorative. Mm-hmm. It might signal to my body that, hey man, I know I've been going through a lot, like I've been traveling or work's got getting stressful, but I'm going to have a an affectionate session with my body so that I can bring myself back into my body. My head's been in the clouds. I've been way too overthinking things. I'm just going to have a nice restorative reminder to my physicality that I'm here, that I'm grounded and that I'm safe inside my body. And that what that looks like literally is, you know, a 30 to 40 minute workout where you lift a couple sets relatively heavy so that you signal to your brain that I want to grow. I'm still vital. I'm anabolic, but I don't push myself past the point of fatigue, maybe not even get even near the point of fatigue. Mm -hmm. And then I eat a uh, very balanced um, as farm to table as humanly possible type meal where I'm not overeating, but I'm not under eating, nor am I tracking. I'm paying attention to my body and I'm acknowledging how delicious it tastes in my mouth. And I'm five, 10, 15 minutes into eating. We're having beautiful conversation and dialogue and I'm checking in with my body. Hey man, are you satiated? Um, is this, is this good? So that's how it can actually transmute into something that is escapism Mm -hmm. uh, or micromanagism (laughs) and uh, can actually become restoration. You said jizz. There was a a jizz in there. (laughs) Next one for me, the body doesn't lie. And I have to thank Paul Check for this uh, quote. I believe it's a Paul Check original. We are God to our body and it's always reflecting back to us how well we are being God. And it's communicating to us sometimes the only way that it can is through physical symptoms. And we are foolish if we don't pay attention to those physical symptoms. They will start out as a whisper and they will progress to a fire engine in your ear. Yeah. So listen. That's really when, good. Listen when they are whispers. Listen. 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 I'm listening. No, that's really great. Watching can be slippery, meaning yeah. one of my learnings is that I have body image distortion. I perceive my body inaccurately, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Sometimes, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm significantly more aware of what it looks like than I did before. But what this means is you've got to change your way of evaluating your health Yeah. if you are using the mirror or a scale. I was less concerned about weight, but I was, I was, so I was checking in the mirror. Oh, six pack, still good. Six pack, still good. Six pack, still good. Wait though, dude, you're, you're peeling off the pounds. You are not looking well, but I couldn't see that. And and now candidly, I, I, I'm never buff enough. And so it's, it's always on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so, um, one of the quotes that I saw in my, my research here for this episode, I really loved and I, so I saved it. It said, 
make peace with the mirror and watch your reflection change. Mm. How good is that? So good. So what I've done is I have an awareness that if a thought bubble comes up when I'm looking at myself in the mirror that says, oh, you got to dial that in a little bit more, then I know that that's just my system. And my system's given me that little, it's like I've got a light in my car that, yeah. that is always says service tire change. And I've gotten it in, I've gone in and they've checked it out. And they're like, we don't know. Your software is just doing something weird. We can't, we can't close the little screen. So you just got to exit out of it every time it pops up. That's what I have to do. I have to exit out of that yeah. little, that little screen that Pop pops up, up into yeah. my head. And just say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. And my, and it's not that you should never pay attention to certain right. things, but listening. Mm-hmm. Hey. Am I hungry or is this a craving? Am I actually needing nutrients yeah. or is this a craving? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have nocturnal erections? That's a huge one for men. Do I have morning wood when I'm sleeping? Does my boner, you know, show up? <laughs> uh, those are really, how's my digestion? Am I, am I pooping 12 inches a day of solid but not too solid poop? Um, those types of things are the, yeah. are the, are the lanes that I'm looking for as well as mm-hmm. like, you know, making sure you still find me attractive and things like that. <laughs> I do. Uh, next one for me, foods are not quote good or bad. Yes. Some, some foods are healthier than others, but you've probably heard this quote before. Like a piece of happy cake is better than a sad kale salad. Right. So it's like speaking to the frequency with which we're we're in when we are consuming these foods. Mm-hmm. So if I'm consuming a, a kale salad out of hate for myself because it's like, girl, you need to be skinnier. Not good. Not good. Um, so foods are not good or bad. They are neutral. And, and so that means that I am not good or bad based on what foods I do or do not consume. Who I am has nothing to do with the foods that I choose to put in my body, yeah. really, like me, who I am, my essence, my eternalness, it has nothing to do with the good or badness of the foods that I eat. So, yep. yeah, awesome, really good, and and same for me. I think that that leads to this sort of like guilt and shame environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned that I'm a perfectionist, and that perfectionism for me shows up in the form of my body and it's not i've really spent a lot of time like it's not about beauty for me it's not about like making sure that i'm sexually appealing there are certain tones of that for sure but to me it was food and exercise is a showcase of my perfectionist tendencies and my obsession with excellence and if i set unrealistically high standards for myself which i do in my life just at large of course body image and um, the way that I look is going to creep in there. And because it's so accessible and controllable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's going to be really easy to hyper-focus on that area over the others. It's a lot easier because today I can go to the gym, today I can get groceries versus I'm working towards the promotion at work yeah. or I'm working towards growing my business. Mm-hmm. You get this sense of relief for your perfectionism by scratching the itch mm-hmm. of something. And unfortunately exercise and diet is so available that if you are someone who needs to be excellent, you can scratch the itch through these unhealthy outlets in the form of compulsive eating and exercise. Yeah. Um, and so almost like immediate, immediate mm-hmm. feedback too, right? You know, pretty quick. And so the big shift for me here, the big learning for me here is that exercise and diet is not an outlet. It's not a reliever. 
it's not a place that I can go to repent for all of my sins, if you will. Mm -hmm. Rather, this is a domain of love. And this mm-hmm. is a space of growth and learning and medicine, medicine and communication yeah. and uh, communion with my mm-hmm. body and with my, my, the, the fraction of our creator that lives within me. This is the garden that I get to water through the practice of moving my body and, and listening to what my body wants to consume in the form of food. And so that's yeah. been the, the big shift for me is like, this is not on the table of my little perfectionism excellence space. This is actually a... a a communion a relationship with almost a friend or a a loved one yeah yeah i love that um next one for me the hungry ghost of external validation never gets his fill ever Mm. so if your primary reason for exercise for eating a particular way is external validation literally other people saying you're doing a good job you look great you look awesome you look buff wow what are you doing there will never be enough compliments totally to to completely feel fulfilled (laughs) it has to be more than that it has to be deeper than just what other people think about you and are saying Yep. about you or your body or your physique or whatever. The hungry ghost of validation never gets his fill, totally. ever. I love that. That's that's great language to frame a really powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so simple, and I should have known this a long time ago. Too much exercise or not enough exercise is stress. Too much food or not enough food is stress. And my life... All of our lives are probably stressful and chaotic enough. So make sure mm-hmm. that your exercise and eating habits have a proper level of restoration as yeah. a part of them. It's okay to push it every now and then. It's totally okay. When you're younger, you can get away with a lot more. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, there is a restorative uh rebuilding aspect to your diet and mm-hmm. your movement that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. My body is not actually a misbehaving prisoner. (laughs) Uh, So when a symptom pops up, the first response from me should not be anger or frustration. Like, oh, fuck. You're just never you're just never fully happy, are you? Or like I'm I'm not never doing enough right for you you know, towards your body right. or whatever, just like being angry, like they're misbehaving mm-hmm. somehow. Rather, my body is my home. She's my friend. And now I treat her that way. I'm not going to say that I'm always perfect at this. I still am working through inner dialogue with myself, judgment of what I see. Um, I, I'm, I can't say that I've fully arrived and I never have those thoughts ever. But now, like you were talking about, when they pop up, um, I can coach myself through uh, where, you know, I, I can easily get to a different frame of, uh, frame of mindset like within a couple seconds, but they still intrude from time right. to time. They still pop in my head. There's still things I wish were a little different oh. here and there. And, you know, I don't know if that will ever completely go away. All I can do is manage 
the dialogue, manage how I respond to those thoughts popping up, like feeding them or, you know, saying like the, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't, I don't need that judgment today. Yeah. Thank you for your attempt at discernment, but I'm going to go this way instead. Oh, it totally still pops up for me too. During the pandemic, when we were locked down, like full lockdown, we had no access to gyms or any of that. Um, I lost way too much weight. I had no access to lifting Mm -hmm. and so i started doing a little more cardio like i'll just compensate with a little more cardio walked a lot more when we were walking outside i lost 50 pounds or not 50 pounds i lost 10 pounds and i broke my rib and so i got i could feel those compulsive tendencies on like making sure i don't lose my progress on my physique here um so it it comes back up that wasn't that long ago and and those things really do really do creep back up last one for me just from my personal lessons um this takes time. It takes help. It's slow. It's about as slow as learning something. You don't make an overnight switch. It's and like learning a new language. It is. And um, this this uh, quote that I read from Lori Anderson. I don't know who you are, Lori, but <laughs> I love your quote. It says, there is no magic cure. No making it all go away forever or immediately. There are only small steps upward, an easier day, an unexpected laugh, a mirror that doesn't matter anymore. Mm. And what I love about this is if you've been in this hellhole of micromanaging your life with, through exercise and nutrition, you count things. You can't not. You're counting yeah. your weight, counting your reps, you're counting your food, your calories, your macros. The more you count those things, I often have found that you lose laughter and goofiness and dancing and play. And so if you're going to count anything in this relatively slow process of getting out of this this compulsive state, start quantifying how much you're laughing. Um, Take note of those moments where you lose track of time because you're having so much fun or you're in such deep conversation. Uh, I knew that I was turning the corner in my life when I would catch myself dancing or humming to a song by myself in the kitchen. Um, or when I would just catch myself out of the corner of my eye, looking, looking as if I had a happy and healthy expression on my face in the mirror, just out of nowhere. And those are the things you should start counting. Mm-hmm. And um, I really do think slowly, but surely you're putting one penny away a day into the happy, healthy bucket mm-hmm. and you will feel a significant uh, change in the pressure to count the calories and the gym sessions and all that kind of shit. Yeah, absolutely agree. That's great. Last one for me. This was a huge aha moment. I don't know, probably a a few years ago. It hasn't been that long, but society's definition of beautiful changes like fashion trends. So just about every decade or so, there's a new look, especially for women. And this comes and goes and changes with seemingly like the wind or I don't know how these things change and then take root in our consciousness of like, oh, that's what's beautiful now. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. If it comes from the fashion world or that too. who we're looking at on Instagram or the Kardashians, whatever the Kardashians are doing with their body, you know, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's here. And these, these trends you know, uh, move in and out about every decade. And what I've learned is I cannot morph my body 
with the ever-changing fashion trends and expect to maintain any sort of real physical or mental health. Rather, if I am truly listening to my body and what she needs from a a day-to-day basis and then also like what season or cycle of life am I in, um, are we in, if I am delivering to my body what intuitively I know she needs, then whatever shape my body takes is the shape she is meant to be in that season of my Mm -hmm. life, right? Mm -hmm. So this was like, felt like a major aha moment for me a couple years ago. Um, Was like, you know what? If I'm doing what my body is communicating to me that I need, whatever shape my body takes is the shape she should be. And it was just like mind-blowing, but it's so simple. It's so like, duh. But we get so, especially as women, and I know this happens for some guys as well, but especially women, we get so like tunnel vision with like, oh, that's what's beautiful. I need to look like that. Okay, I'm going to change my body to try and look as Mm -hmm. close to that as I can. Mm -hmm. But that changes all the time in society. And it's just, again, it's a different type of hungry ghost. Even, again, in my research for this, I was reading some very interesting quotes from like Cindy Crawford, for instance. She never referred to herself in her pictures. She would call it the image mm. because it was so distant from reality. Mm. Interesting. And Cindy, Cindy Crawford's a famous like model from the 90s, which again, we're both born in the 90s and hyper skinny was like yeah. totally in back then. But she would refer to herself as the image when she talked about her mm. her work. Wow. Um, because it was so distant from reality. That's actually really wise. Really interesting. Yeah. Guys, we've talked a lot today. Um, yeah. We've talked about our journeys. We tried to do our best to educate on some 101 around eating disorders and disordered eating. Um, and it's a lot of information. Yeah. So what we have wanted to do was list like five or six things that are just like, boom, takeaways. If this resonated for you, or if this is something that you feel would be helpful for anyone in your life, because likely there is somebody who could benefit from just mm-hmm. a conversation around yeah. this that's safe, you know? Um, so we've got, this is the last thing on this long, lengthy Very long. podcast. <laughs> Takeaways. Yeah. Just what can you start today? Maybe we'll just rapid fire back and forth. Yeah, on let's these. just do rapid fire for sure. So first, the fit sick person is real. You cannot judge someone's health just by a ripped picture that you see on Instagram. You have no idea what's going on in their body or in their brain. No idea. You ha- you have to keep reminding yourself of this truth all the time, maybe every day. If you find yourself in comparisonitis, the fit sick person is real. Yep. You have no idea what that person is going through in their body or their brain, hormonally, blood work. You have no idea. Super good. If this conversation today resonates, if our stories resonate at all, that is an intuitive nudge mm-hmm. for you to make a change, for you to have a safe conversation with someone from lo- out of a place of love. Yeah. And guess what? It's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. In fact, we encourage you to look to, for a coach, trainer, or therapist. We always recommend people look for a check professional. They're usually very qualified to take on a diverse array of physical and mental mm-hmm. and emotional challenges. Uh, you can go to check 
connect and look for a Czech professional near you, but that would be a great starting point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something to think about is, you know, if this is you and you are currently in sort of your, your orthorexic or otherwise hellhole, can you tell someone you trust that you're struggling in this area? Doesn't, and it doesn't even have to be a coach or a trainer or a therapist yet, but can you talk to a friend, a sibling, a coworker that you trust? Yeah. Not in an, any, any expectation that they will be able to fix it for you. Simply just the act of saying it out loud <laughs> is like the first step towards like moving towards a different direction in your life. So telling someone, sharing with someone can be really cathartic. Love that. Start small. You don't have to completely overhaul your life. And in fact, it might be more challenging if you try to. Yeah. Uh, it might make it worse. Mm -hmm. So start small. If you work out every day and you're like I did, just one day a week, yeah. take a rest. Yeah. You might feel better. You will feel better. I guarantee you, you'll feel better. But just, you don't need to start taking four days off a week. Just start with one. Yeah. Uh, you're eating 1,200 calories a day like you were. What if you just add two or 300 a week. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an extra avocado a week. Yeah, yeah. See how you feel. You'll feel amazing. <laughs> if you don't eat any meat, you're vegan and you're deteriorating <laughs> a couple eggs. Yeah. A couple eggs a week. Yeah. One egg a day. Bite a chicken. Bite a chicken. Just see how you feel. Yeah. You'll feel great. You'll feel great. <laughs> Um, fill your life with more of what you love. That's not necessarily exercise or health related, right? So this could be hobbies yeah. or other things that you love, relationships that you love. You will have a more palpable experience of what actually matters in your life. And this is love, this connection, it's joy, it's purpose. It's making memories with people that you love. When you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking to yourself, damn, I really wish I would have squeaked out one more set, right? you know, or I really wish I would have lost that extra five pounds. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm about to, you know, encounter God, but oh, I didn't get that five pounds off. No, you're going to be thinking like, I wish I would have hugged my person more. I wish I would have told so-and-so that I love them. I wish I would have forgiven that business partner that screwed me over. You know, these are the things that we think back on and either regret or want more of when we're at the end of our life. So, you know, it's sort of like taking a, a zoomed out view yep. of reality. Yep. Super good. Right after you listen to this episode today, spend some time thinking on a scale of one to 10, how am I pooping? How am I sleeping? And how is my sex drive? Those are critical factors for determining whether or not you have some adjustments in your diet or movement mm -hmm. lifestyle. Yeah. And for women, it could also be menstruating. Yeah. Or men for nocturnal erections or having morning wood. It's, mm -hmm. They're really important indicators. Push off the scale for a little while. Push off the mirror for a little while. Let's check in on those three. Yeah. I think you should share the last mantra since it came from your brain. Uh, I thought of a little mantra that, that I encourage everybody to tell themselves, whether it's right after listening to this episode or later tonight or as you go to bed or whenever your quiet space is where you feel like you can really communicate something to yourself. I thought of this little mantra um, that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. It says, hey, body, I am ready to be your friend. And I know that you've been waiting for me. Mm. Hey, body, 
I'm ready to be your friend. And I know that you've been waiting for me. Communicate to me what you need. This is the prodigal son returning home to the open arms of the father. Yeah. That is the relationship that you have with your body. It loves you. Mm -hmm. It really, really loves you. It's working so hard for you all the time, every day, 24 seven. Yep. And it deserves, she deserves, he deserves, they deserve. (laughs) (laughs) They, them deserve. (laughs) They, them deserve all the love. Yep. And uh, we, we get to gift that to our bodies, to our meat suits. Yeah. I hope that everybody hung in for this two hour episode is really close to home, really meaningful. And what will be the kickoff to at least a couple more conversations around this topic Mm -hmm. with some guests who are experts. Um, Let us know what you think. Like I said, jump into YouTube, give us a comment, share this episode on social media, have a conversation with a friend around this topic. It is relevant, bro. You you read those statistics. You heard those statistics. It is in our life. Let's mm-hmm. transmute this thing. Yeah. It is that has the potential to be a catalyst into a wave of healthy diet and exercise habits mm-hmm. that we can all partake in as a culture. Before we go, I got to know, what is your medicine today? Oh, my medicine. I talked this morning to just one of my best friends in the world, just so happens to also be an incredible mentor to me. And he's a marketing genius. And we just had a lot of fun brainstorming different ideas. And I'm reminded of how important it is to have highly intelligent men who sharpen you Mm. in your life. And Mm -hmm. he almost is like like a tool for bringing out the most fun ideas that I have in my head Mm. and I would never have have thought them or brought them out had he not asked the right questions and so uh Will Hughes he's been on the podcast actually he's he's just a genius yeah um I love him so much and he's just been an incredible friend and mentor to me and I had a great jam session with him today and it just gets me lit up about possibility when I talk to him so that's my medicine a little little bro time love it love you Will what about you what is your medicine today um Um, My medicine today has been something that I've been doing for the last uh, few weeks, uh, doing my best because we've had some travel and things that kind of disrupt a little bit, but that's okay. Um, So what I've been doing is consuming uh, 30 grams of protein at least Mm. within 30 minutes of waking up. And Previously, you know, I I would eat something upon waking, like within the first uh, 30 minutes or hour of waking up, I would have like a Paleo Valley meat stick. Love Paleo Valley meat sticks. They are so good, but it's not enough protein for me. You need like five of them. Yeah. So there's like six grams of protein. They're not very big. And so six grams, a little fat, like it's good, but I wanted to see how I would feel in um, increasing that protein. And making sure that it's like basically right when you wake Mm -hmm. up. So I've been having Greek yogurt with a scoop of vanilla protein powder mixed in with a little maybe granola or berries or something and eating that um, in the morning while I I am in my quiet time and reading and everything. And I've noticed, um, one, my digestion throughout the day has been better. So like just better poops. Um, And also having a little bit more in my system before I go and work out has been really nice. Like I just feel more energized in my workout, which obviously makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I've really been loving it. Um, and it's a, it's a great way to get in more protein because 
we hear a lot from people that like, how are you getting that much protein? Well, if you're not, if you're waiting until 11 a.m. to eat, you probably are having a hard time getting in protein, especially for women and men certainly too. But for women, a lot of us don't do well with like intermittent fasting or fasting in general. And so healthy hormones, happy hormones really want a good source of protein really upon waking, especially before coffee or caffeine. Really good point to to attach to this conversation today where we talk a lot about the stress state Yeah, and that exercise is a stress state. Um, it can be a stress state, I should say. Fasting, not eating enough is a, is a stress state. So mm-hmm. when you wake up after having not eaten all night while you're sleeping, you're in a stressed catabolic state. Yeah, And they say in order to pivot that, you need to consume food and you need at least 20 to 30 grams of protein to pivot from a catabolic state to an anabolic. So a lot of people fast and then they go work out and that's stress on stress on stress. Some bodies can handle it. Great. Um, other bodies cannot. Mm-hmm. And the also what other people do is they'll have a little bit of food. They'll be like, I'll just have a little of a half a banana and a little bit of whatever. That's not going to change you from a catabolic state because you've been fasted for so long. So that first meal of the day, if you've been fasted and you actually want to shift your catabolic nature into something that can actually be more anabolic, um, restorative, uh, more prone for building muscle and um, having even cognitive benefits, you really need like 30 grams of protein is a good number. And I love that you're doing, I'm doing the same thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good thing to try on. Yeah. I've been loving it and it's been medicinal. You guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you listening, tuning in, sharing it, commenting on YouTube. We would love to hear your thoughts on this topic, this episode. Um, we love you and we mean it. We'll talk to you next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. bye. Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.